are listening to Law and Gospel Open Mic Friday on the first day of October in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're ready to respond to emails that we have received. So without further ado, let's go. Hello, Pastor Baker. I'm reading Genesis in the New Lutheran ESV Study Bible and have several questions about Jesus found in this book as well as in the rest of the Old Testament. Jesus is described as the Alpha and the Omega in the New Testament. Now, I'll interrupt, and and that's in the book of Revelation. Continuing, was he there with God when creation took place? Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. I was wondering who God was talking to here. If it is Jesus, then Jesus helped God in his creation. And if that's so, is Jesus there with God throughout the Old Testament before he became man in Mary's womb? So that's the question. Let's go right to the Bible and Genesis Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That verse is used to be talking about the work of the Father. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now that's the Holy Spirit. So we've got God the Father in verse 1, the Holy Spirit in verse 2. Listen to verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, who's that? The answer is found throughout the Bible, but particularly in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, who's this Word? You go down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Of course, that's none other than Jesus Christ himself. So the word, word, in the beginning was the word. That's in the Greek, logos. That's referring to Christ, who is active in creation and, of course, saving us. Jesus is the word. And it was by his word that things were created. 
So you are correct in saying that at creation, all three persons of the Trinity were present. And Jesus later became a human being in Mary's womb. That was a few thousand years after the creation of the world when he became incarnate. And that's part of the Apostles' Creed. You know, I believe in Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So you are correct. Jesus is found throughout the Old Testament. A lot of times you can find him when the word is spoken in this way. And the angel of the Lord, a definite article, doesn't refer, therefore, to Gabriel or Michael or a real angel, but is referring to the Son of God in his pre-incarnate state. And that's found in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses is on Mount Sinai at a burning bush, and it says, And the angel of the Lord spoke to him from the bush, and he says, my name is, and he gives the name of God, I am who I am, Yahweh. So Jesus is found in many passages throughout the Old Testament. And he, of a course, becomes a human being at the incarnation with Mary. All right, next. Dear Pastor Baker, those who receive the Holy Supper without faith in the real presence of the body and blood of Christ, do they eat and drink for their condemnation? Does it mean that the Lutherans are the only ones worthy of salvation? What about the other Christians from other denominations? And that is a letter, email, from Brazil. Remember, KFUO is heard throughout the world. So we get letters from Brazil and Japan and where I was doing some mission work in Novosibirsk, Russia. We continue to get these emails. Why? Because they can listen to KFUO.org and listen to law and gospel. So let's get to his question. What the writer is referring to is not the English Standard Version where it talks about eating improperly the Lord's Supper for your condemnation. That is really part of the King James translation, giving the impression that a person is condemned. But when you take a look, at 1 Corinthians 11, the proper word is one comes under judgment, not condemnation. Now, what's the difference? Well, 1 Corinthians 11 explains it. Some people who take the Lord's Supper without believing it is the body and blood of Christ, they don't believe 
in the sacramental nature of the supper. Some of them were getting sick and some of them were dying. So there are temporal consequences to not receiving the Lord's Supper with the proper faith. But it's very clear that Paul is talking about Christians who do not have a proper understanding of the Lord's Supper. Therefore, in the Lutheran Church, before someone is able to take communion, we encourage them to attend the adult instruction class. Uh, depending on whether they're a new Christian or coming from another denomination that is Christian, that could last anywhere from four to six weeks to 20 weeks. I've done a lot of 20-week adult instruction classes uh, dealing with people who were not Christian before. So it's very important that that gets across. Now, the idea, are Lutherans the only ones worthy of salvation? No. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior, regardless of their wrong views on the Lord's Supper, they can be saved. So we believe Southern Baptists who don't believe that the Lord's Supper is a sacrament, they are still saved because they believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And by the way, the Lutheran Church is not the only church that believes that we are receiving the true body and blood of Jesus Christ. So does the Roman Catholic Church. Where we differ with the Roman Catholic Church is they try to explain how this happens with a philosophical theory called transubstantiation, which simply means that the substance of the bread and the wine are replaced with the substance of Christ's body and blood. We don't agree with that because there's no Bible verse to back that up. Sometimes we're accused of consubstantiation, that the body and blood of Jesus comes with the bread and the wine. While we believe that in, with, and under the bread and wine is somehow the true body and blood of Christ, we refuse to be bound by a philosophical theory of either transubstantiation or consubstantiation because the scripture is not clear how God does that any more than the scripture is clear how the triune God can be three persons but still one God. That is a matter of faith what the Bible says. So that's how I would answer that particular question. All right. Dear Pastor Tom Baker, I really enjoy your programs. I am not Lutheran, but I still enjoy the gospel focus you have. But I do have a question. How do you justify the version of the Ten Commandments 
that Lutherans teach. The third commandment about graven images is left out. The fourth commandment becomes the third. And you split the Ten Commandments into the ninth and tenth on coveting. If you look at Exodus 20, you see no such changes. This seems to be really strange for a church that claims to go by the Bible alone. Lutherans seem to be following Roman Catholic tradition with this one. So how do we respond to that? Well, if, if you go to Exodus 20, you will notice that, first of all, it's not referred to as the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Words. Decalogue is the English for the word ten, deca, and logos, the word word. And you are correct. The commandments are not numbered in the sense that the fourth commandment is honor your father and mother. The fifth commandment is thou shalt not kill. No, they're put down. And so when I teach youth confirmation, I often will ask the question, who do you think is maybe more accurate in the numbering of the commandments? The Lutherans and Roman Catholics or other churches that combine the two covet commandments and add in the commandment about not worshiping graven images. Frankly, the answer I think is probably those who are not Lutheran because you can't as a Lutheran say this is the fifth commandment. It's never mentioned in the Bible. What is the fifth commandment? Even though thou shalt not kill is clearly a commandment. And what about the graven images? We believe, teach, and confess that when the first commandment says, thou shalt have no other gods before you, Luther's explanation, we should fear and love God so that only the true God is the one we worship, includes not worshiping graven images. Now, let's make a distinction between worshiping a graven image and having a graven image. It is not an error in the church to have a cross with the body of Jesus on it that is represented. It is only a graven image is if you pray to that. Now, can that happen where you worship a graven image? I've talked about a woman in the congregation I had who would not get on an airplane unless she had her cross with her that she would carry around her neck because she believed that if she had the cross, then the airplane would not crash. Well, that's worshiping a graven image. She would even return home if she forgot her cross before she got on the plane, and that would be inappropriate. 
from God's point of view. So there's no doubt that one can go either way with the Ten Commandments because the Bible isn't clear as to whether or not which commandment is the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, and so forth. At any rate, it's pretty good. Next. Hi, Tom. I need the name of the Revelation study guide that was written by a professor at the seminary. I have heard you talk about it. My son is 15 and is interested in Revelations. Now, I'm going to stop here for a moment because he speaks about that word as Revelations. No, the word is revelation. It is a word that is in the singular because it means the prophecies of God. Going on, do you think this study guy will be too hard for him to understand? I know you will chuckle at my reference to the author as just a professor since he is well known and has been around forever. His name escapes me right now. Please let me know how to order it. I am unable to listen now to do my work hours. I was going to have my son teach me after you download on your show the name. Well, the name is Lewis Brighton. He has passed away, but his book on Revelation is still available from Concordia Publishing House. Simply go to the internet, type in cph.org, and then there's a search and search for Revelation, and you will see the book by Lewis Brighton, and then be able to order it through Concordia Publishing House. I did not understand the book of Revelation. I actually took the course at the seminary with Lewis Brighton as a graduate course. And boy, did that ever help me. I had been unable to really preach on the book of Revelation until I took that course because his explanations are so simple that I believe that any 15-year-old son of yours will be knowledgeable about what Dr. Brighton is talking about. All righty. Next email. I had uh, attended a city and done a Bible study. The email begins, My wife and I would like to thank you for having your Bible study here. I am specifically settled in what you said about as one tries to become a better person, we find sin that we did not notice before. Repentance starts to consume your day. I recently found that reading certain newspaper articles are really, in fact, nothing less than gossip, and would thus it could be a sin to partake in telling others about what the newspaper article has said. In fact, 
I believe the news industry is one large gossip circle. However, I felt more comfortable in the fact that I am saved as I am feeling and thinking that I am a sinner, but I believe. I guess if I didn't think of myself as a believer, I would not be aware of sin. Boy, that's a really good point that he makes because believers are believers in what? In Jesus Christ as the savior of the world. And therefore, it's really important that you recognize you need a savior because of your sin. And this was written by an immigration counsel who certified, who sent us this email. All right, I think we've got time for one more. Pastor Baker, I have a question with regard to Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, that just so happens to be a reading that is being said these weeks. It's all about the time that Jesus, when he was 12 years old, was taken by his parents annually to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, there was a big group from Nazareth. And so on the way home, the parents thought that Jesus was somewhere else with the group. But after the first day, they discovered he wasn't with them. So they returned to Jerusalem and started looking for him. And it took them three days before they looked at the temple and found Jesus there explaining and asking questions to the teachers who were quite astounded at his wisdom. Now, after this, Jesus obeys his parents and returns home to them, with them, to Nazareth. And it's at that point that Luke says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Back to the email. I have asked four different Lutheran pastors what this passage means, but no one has given me a clear answer. The most far-fetched reply was that Jesus didn't know he was God, and therefore he grew in wisdom to learn that he was God. Can you shed some light on this passage? Well, the light I can shed is that Jesus, even at 12 years old, was still reading the Old Testament and was still learning a lot. Whether at 12 years old, he knew he was the Messiah, the promised Christ, I can't say for sure. But it would have been interesting to hear the questions that he not only was telling and asking the teachers, but also his answers to some of their questions. Uh, for, for example, he might ask a question that we heard earlier on this program. Why does it say 
that God indicates we will make man in our image. Who does he refer to as our? Now, remember the Jews at that time did not believe in the three-person trinity. So they would be unable to answer that correctly. But we find Jesus throughout his ministry saying things that the people were unaware of. We talk about a difference between biblical theology and everyday theology. And everyday theology is kind of made-up theology in the minds of the old Adam, and people think it's true. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't say that sin occurs only when you do something wrong, but also when you think something is wrong or when you speak in a wrong way. That's why we confess that we are sinners by thought, word, and deed. So, Jesus was still growing in his knowledge of the Old Testament, and he was learning what the prophecy said about what would happen to the Messiah, including death on the cross, Psalm 22, including being thirsty, being whipped, being mocked, etc. And those could have been some of his questions. So he certainly was God, even at 12 years old, but he was learning more about what God had to say. And of course, he was tremendous in law and gospel, indicating the forgiveness of sins by grace, not by works. So on Monday, we'll continue with a Bible reading from the following Sunday and take a look at it from a law and gospel point of view. Join with us. I'm Tom Baker. You're listening to Law and Gospel. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.